Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Hey everybody, it's Ryan from the Prolific Writer Podcast. What do you think when you think about the number 70? 70 years old, big number, small number. How about 70 books in four years? Yeah, that's right. Today on the show, Claire Connolly is going to talk about her journey of having no books and now 70 books in a short period of time, how she did it, her process, the craft, the journey, be inspired. It can happen for you too. Let's do this. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everyone, to the Prolific Writer Podcast. This is your host, Ryan J. Pelton, and welcome to episode number 83. And however you are listening to the show, however you are coming into my voice is coming into your ear buds, your ear canals, your ear holes. That sounds weird. Welcome. Hello. It's my podcast. I'm so glad you're here. The podcast dedicated to helping you write fast, often, and well, and build a business with your words help you get unstuck and all kinds of cool stuff. So today I'm so excited to have on the show, Claire Connolly, who maybe you caught at the beginning has written 70 books in the last four or so years. And she's going to talk about how she did it and hope you're inspired and encouraged to get more words on the page and and don't, don't get overwhelmed by the number 70. I'm not saying you have to go write 70 books tomorrow. That's not possible, but it does show you what is possible. And uh, Claire has a great story, a stay-at-home mother, two kids, and finding time to write and cranking out those words and having great success and getting a lot of work out in the world. And that's what it's all about, people. That's what it's all about. And hey, I was thinking, I might have talked about this last episode, but you know, I just think in the, in the climate in which we live, we have some family and friends dealing with uh, the fires in California, and uh, maybe you do too. There's just a lot going on in the world, and there always is all over the around the world. And Books are important. Literature is important. Art is important. Um, it's not just to escape, but it's to uh, make an impact in people's lives. And so your your work, your stories matter. And so if you're doing National Novel Writing Month this month in November, if you're listening to this, keep on going. Keep getting those words on the page. Uh, it matters. And uh, we, I love Claire's story and how she was realizing that life is short. And if she didn't do this now, she probably would never do it and never find the time to actually begin writing and building uh, you know, a career and a, and a life with her words. And, uh, and I, I just want to encourage you that too, that there is time to do it. There is the times now, and uh, you don't have to wait. If you're a hundred years old or 20 years old um, or 15 years old, that there's always, always time to, to get those words on the page. So hopefully you're encouraged, inspired by Claire. And just before we get to that episode, just a couple things. One is if you'd like to sh- support this show, I'll mention at the end of the show too, just to remind you, but if you'd like to support this show and the 
plethora of podcasts on the Project Entertainment Network. Uh, we have a Patreon page, and I'll put that in the show notes. Um, a lot of cool stuff, a lot of good freebies for you know as little as a buck a month. You can get some stories and get some uh, stuff from our other shows and this show. And I and, uh, just want to encourage you to do that. So I'm going to put that in the show notes. Patreon, it's a great way to support artists and podcasts and writers and whatnot. And we'd love your support and feedback. And also, if you go to the Project Entertainment Network website, there's also tons of merchandise, merch, as they call it, as the cool kids call it hats and shirts and mugs and, and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, we got some, some items up there too, the prolific writer podcast, and you can check all those out as well. Go get someone for your loved ones. I know Christmas is coming up and I uh, want to get some gifts, get some socks, get some shirts, get, get, you know, some stickers, whatever, um, support the show. Great way to do that. So without further ado, here is Claire Connolly. Hey, welcome everyone to the Prolific Writer Podcast. It's your host, Ryan J. Pelton, and I'm so thankful today to have Claire Connolly on the show, and Claire's all the way from Australia, and uh, so we're on opposite time zones, and it's really good to talk to her. So why don't you say hello, hello, Claire, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, so my name is Claire Connolly, and I write category romance novels, so they're love stories within a sort of fifty to 55,000 word shape. Uh, I self-published my first book in May 2014 on Amazon with no expectations of it doing anything except maybe being read by a few people from time to time. And uh, since then, I've published, I think, about 60 um, self-published titles and have also um, accepted publishing contracts with Harlequin, Mills and Boone, and I write for two lines of theirs. Well, that's uh, a lot of books. So uh, a lot of books. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, so yeah, one, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. Well, one is you reached out to me and and wanted to tell mm-hmm. me a little about your story, which I always love because there's there's so many great authors out there that are very productive, pr- producing a lot of books. And you know, we are called the prolific writer, so seventy books is very prolific. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so you know, one question I was thinking about as we're I was kind of preparing for this was you know how do you how do you stay motivated after, you know, 70 different books? I mean, how do you get the ideas? How do you, how do you get up every day and, and uh, go to work? Right. So it's, I was talking to my mom about this just this morning that ideas aren't a problem for me. You know, there's ideas everywhere and I'm a big question asker. So, um, I'm probably quite invasive, though thankfully people don't know it because I ask the questions in my head. But I, if I see people on an aeroplane, I, I wonder what their story is and where they're going and uh, if it's for a happy occasion or a sad. Or um, So those questions always sort of uh, spawn and nest into story ideas. So by the time I get off a flight, I've probably got six new ideas. Uh, I always have notebooks with me. With you know, It can just be one sentence and that will trigger me back into what I was thinking about uh, or I have word documents on both of the computers I use just called new ideas and it's where I just quickly jot anything down um, because my schedule is quite uh, uh, big I, I guess it's I've got eight Mills and Boone coming out next year uh, a book for Thule uh, which is a North American digital first um, publisher and I'll have four or five indie titles so it's a lot I've got on my plate for next year. So I do have to juggle a few different stories at a time, not writing them, but editing and plotting and writing. And that keeps me motivated, <laughs> just knowing what I've got on my schedule. But it's also, I love it. I feel I feel absolutely compelled to write. Mm-hmm. And it's the best job in the world. Mm-hmm. To be able to do this for a living is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make things up and people pay you for it. That's always a nice job to have, right? Um, Correct. And uh, so, so let's talk about so 2014 first books coming out. But yeah, what was happening before 2014? I mean, what were you writing? When when did the the writing bug start? How, how did this all happen? Sure. So I, like most people, uh, I've always written and I wrote my first Mills and Boone at 15 and sent it off. And it was back in the days where when you sent a manuscript off to a publisher, you had to print it out and bind it in ribbon. And it was sort of an interminable wait to hear back. And of course, it was rejected and very wisely. So um, I think I had a lot to learn before I could write a Mills and Boone. Um, 
but I continued to write and and more importantly I continued to read read voraciously and I read like a writer you know always uh, when I read a book I love I read it a first time and then I'll quite often go back and read it to see why I loved it so much and I traveled to the UK with my now husband where we lived for four years uh, and took I was working in legal recruitment uh, which is what I'd studied at university law uh, but I was always writing blogs and you know three-page emails to friends because I think that's what you do when you're a writer you, you use written words to communicate all the time obsessively and it was once we came back here to Australia and got married and I had a job that I really loved back here um, but we had our children and I was home with two small children at the time my son would have been three and my daughter was about six months old oh, sorry that's not true because there's only – yes, she, sorry, she must have been about six months old. And I thought – I was getting close to going back to work and I thought if I don't do this now, not that it's a walk in the park when you've got young kids, you know, as you know, it's, it's a type of bedlam, but <laughs> it still felt like an opportunity to – to explore this and I knew that when I went back to work sure I would still write because that's what I do but this was my one opportunity to really put everything I had into writing so I took it very seriously even when I had no expectation of anything happening I my kids I synced their naps so that they both napped in the middle of the day and I was fortunate that they were good nappers and that was my work time and I guarded it really uh, tenaciously if anyone popped in they would get short shrift no offers of tea or coffee which very much goes against the grain for me um, because I knew that that was the time I needed to get words down and I didn't give myself I didn't cut myself any slack so if for any reason I didn't achieve my word count goal in the day I would absolutely make myself do it at night or get up early the next morning so that I would be progressing my story yeah no that's great I, you know it's one of the things we talk about is kind of writing in the cracks of your life you know and, and everybody Correct. has a different story and I just talked to a guy that, you know, was writing his stories in the bathroom at his job, you know, because he needed, he needed to get the words out and he just, you know, knew his boss wouldn't let him. So he's, you know, sitting on the toilet, literally writing books. And I love that. You know, it's, and I hear those stories all the time, you know, the kids are down for naps and, you know, I'm on the subway and it's just like, I have the story, I got to get it out. And yeah, you just, you find the time, right? I mean, you just, you, you, you just work at it and, and, yeah. and then before long you have a book, right? Right. And you make the time. Like I was exhausted, absolutely exhausted. Would I have preferred to lie on the sofa and put a movie <laughs> on and just vague out? Absolutely. But at the same time, I really put that pressure on myself knowing that once I went back to work, it would be even harder mm -hmm. because then I would have the juggle of work, children and trying to write. And so with one of those things being out of the equation, like I said, having little kids at home isn't easy, but I still felt it was going to be more manageable to get words on the page than once I went back to work. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I'm, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, yeah. So, I mean, your story is interesting because you know, you you, you have kids. You decide, you know, I'm going I'm to do this. Uh, I want to do this. I'm a writer, but you had no expectation. So, when was kind of the moment where you thought, "Wow, I think I can do this"? Or, or was it feedback? Was it a review? Was it a you know your first sold book? I mean, what 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 kind of gave you the 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 inkling that maybe, maybe I could do this, maybe it's more than just one book or two, or you know, now you're at 70. So, you know, yeah. well, I mean, what happened? Tell us a little about that. Sure. So I definitely, uh, because I had been submitting to Mills and Boone for a couple of years before I self-published and being rejected, I had quite a few books stockpiled, which I loved. And I think the thing with Mills and Boone is you write for specific lines. So they have reader expectations for those lines and your books need to fit within the parameters of what readers are looking for when they pick up those books. We call it the promise, you know, so that readers of presents, which is one of the lines I write for, know that when they pick up a presents, they're going to get, you know, a billionaire and exotic locations and the kind of escapism that they're looking for. And my books didn't fit squarely into those parameters and that was my fault. So I think I'd written great stories that didn't, have a home at Mills and Boone. Um, but it meant that once my first book was released and did very well, I was shocked to see. And the thing with Amazon is, uh, as you would know, most of your listeners can, uh, would know, you can track your sales minute to minute. So mm -hmm. I remember lying on the sofa um, the day after I'd loaded it up and my husband and I were watching a movie and I saw this like little dot appear and I had to check to see if it was accurate. Someone had bought my book and I just <laughs> couldn't get over that. Um, and it, it 
sort of snowballed and that first book did well. So within a month, I was able to release my second book, which was one that I had written mm-hmm. um, previously. And looking back, I now know what I didn't know then because I definitely leapt before I looked. I knew nothing about indie publishing except that mm-hmm. it was a way you could get your books out there. Um, I know now that that sort of rapid release made it easier to build my readership mm-hmm. base. Uh, I put the uh, first three chapters of my first book in my second book and vice versa to sort of feed readers into each other. And so there are a couple of things that I, I lucked into uh, which which led to me being able to develop those sales. And as I say, I, I put my second my first book up as a freebie when I released my second book. I'm trying to remember the dates exactly, but it was around the time. And it had thousands and thousands and thousands of free downloads, which I now know for someone like me who just popped onto the uh, romance writing scene was really unusual. Mm-hmm. So there was something had happened. The algorithms had scooped me up and worked for me. Um, I love that book. I really love it. I think it's got a great hook. Um and that that was it. Once I started seeing those sales, and more importantly, we were a single income family. So once I started converting what those sales meant in dollars, that was very motivating. Mm-hmm. It felt like suddenly this door had been open where I could have a career as a writer. Mm-hmm. So it was within two books I, I realized it would be a viable mm-hmm. option for me. No, I think that's there's some some wisdom there too. If you are, you know, I mean, it's why we talk about being prolific. And again, everybody's prolificity if you will is different and you know not necessarily 70 books in four years or whatever but um but you know rapid release you know consistent release you know every few months every quarter a few books a year i mean that kind of keeps you in the algorithm keeps you in front of readers and uh you know and and so one of my questions was just because i think it's very specific to your genre is romance so uh, mm-hmm. I'm not a, not a big rom- romance reader, but what I know of romance is they devour books. I mean, they romance readers are whale readers to the core. You know, they as not you know large people, but whale as in the sense of quantity of books. I mean, <laughs> I've heard you know three four books a week. I mean, just I mean that's kind of absolutely ex- expectation. So did you know that kind of going in? If I'm going to write in romance, I have to be very prolific. I have to keep them coming, or was, was that even part of the process? I think I think you're right. Romance readers are sort of obsessive by nature. I'm a romance reader first and foremost, and mm-hmm. I can read. A, I used to read a Milton Boone a night. I don't mm-hmm. do that now so much because I'm when I'm writing, I'm writing. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely the thing I love about category romance is that you get this really powerful emotional story, and I can read one in about two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. So in the time I could watch a movie, I could read a book, and I would always choose to read the book because mm-hmm. it's you know so much better. Your imagination just goes mm-hmm. off the hook. So yes, I knew that there was this captive audience that um, once a romance reader finds you and they love you, they will glom your back catalogue. So it's very important for me mm-hmm. to have all of my previously released books listed and linkable in the back of my mm-hmm. books. Um, and it's, I think the thing with romance writers is there's, there's not competition in the sense of we're so lucky because the readers are so voracious that they'll read someone that they love and then they'll want to read someone else who's similar or who writes in a similar genre. So it's a very supportive community as well. Yeah. So, you know, in the, in the romance genre there, you know, you talk about category fiction, maybe you can explain that just for our readers a little bit, uh, just kind of what, you know, what that actually means. I mean, obviously there's a, I mean, I think what you're hitting as there's a lot of different, you know, different genres within the genre of romance. Um, you know, so with that, just kind of whatever category you decide to write in or, uh, you know, is there certain kind of hooks, certain kind of themes, certain kind of things you need to hit when you write in a certain genre um, for a romance reader? Yeah, so it's definitely, there's obviously there's different heat levels. So uh, some people like closed door romance where uh, a couple might be um, romantically intimate, but you don't see it. Or Mm -hmm. it might be that that doesn't happen until the very end of the book and they're married. Mm -hmm. Uh, So heat level, absolutely. I tend to write at the hotter end of the spectrum. Um, Always with a really emotional basis that's very important to me that's very important to romance readers we and and i think that's the thing is romance readers can tell a con you know i i know there's lots of people who think i'm gonna write a romance novel and it will sell millions because but there's got to be that authenticity and i think that comes from being a romance lover as a reader um, as a viewer and now as a writer um so in terms of obviously romance needs a happily ever after that's probably the main thing 
it's got to be bags of conflict, whether it's internal or external. Usually internal will make for a more powerful story. Um, and within the different categories, certainly within Mills and Boone, you know, there's medical, which all have medical settings, intrigue, which are more like your mysteries. And then they have uh, their dare line, which is very sort of con- super contemporary, great escapism. So there's all sorts of different stories for your interest levels. And they're not just, romance you know they're quite often they have other aspects to them but essentially the development of this couple's relationship is what you're there for mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think you know romance in some ways gets i mean it, it's one of the most popular i think it's the might the, be the popular genre you know like 40 percent of readers are romance you know our book sales are yeah. romance uh you know i mean just as you once you dig into that a little further just because i think it's an interesting conversation you know what why the the draw why the allure because i think some people think well it's just the same book over and over same story but there's something that draws people in whether that's men or women and you know i mean romance comedies right i mean it's there's some of the most popular movies too um you know what is it is it just because we all can resonate with relationships and you know marriage and love and you know i mean there's something there right i mean it's it just keeps bringing people back that would read three books a week on the same really it ends the same way typically every time right so so like you know what, what why you know why would people just devour your books the way they do well i think you're right there is that human need for connection and we're all intrinsically drawn to that idea of there being a perfect partner for us and uh and seeing that develop is really beautiful and you're right we know that they're going to end up together but that doesn't make their angsty black moment any less heart stopping Mm -hmm. uh you know and i get butterflies and roller coaster tummy when i read and when i write a book where I really, really love it and I feel their angst. But what I love is uh, sort of the derision that comes to romance when I look at Die Hard, which is one of my favourite movies. We watch it at this time of year every year. Mm-hmm. Essentially, the romantic element is a huge part of what carries that movie mm-hmm. along. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Lord of the Rings, there are all these epic fantasies where romance is a part of that and a big part of what you're there for, even though there's all this other stuff going on, because there is that sense of fulfillment and and it's more than that for me what a really great romance will do is you see two broken characters fix be fixed and changed through falling in love with one another not by each other you know I quite often like to think that at the end of the book my characters are better people for having loved one another whether they end up together or not and they do end up together but but I like to see that they've each brought something to the to one another that has made them better mm-hmm. well, that's good because I, I think what you're tapping into is is just this human you know it's like that human element of yeah why do we watch movies the way we do but they're almost always some kind of romantic thread you know even if it's a like you said an action movie like die hard right and right and there's something that human connection that that it's not about blowing stuff up it's not about killing people it's not you know it's it's really about that human connection and the emotion and all that uh there's a, a i don't know if you ever read the i think it's called bestseller code it's an interesting book they did this big research project on why why are books bestsellers and what really sells them and it you know it's real shocking it's like you know the things that we think people buy books for it's actually not what we think it is it's not you know sex drug rock and roll it's actually normal stuff it's relationships it's family it's you know work <laughs> you know they they talk about you know use work in your in your books because that's relatable because we all work right we all have relationships like there's just certain things that that connect with us and on, on you know we kind of go yeah i know what that's like i know you know i know the struggle of that um yeah right yeah and it's i think ultimately romance is it, there is a huge level of escapism even within that and you're right i love my characters to be relatable they often have very real world problems mm-hmm. and so that a reader can pick them up and they're very accessible straight mm-hmm. away but also there is an element of absolute fantasy escapism mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that that's what I'm there for. And I'm there for the happy, you know, I am not, I think that there is so much in this world that uh, can be upsetting and, and can hurt us Mm -hmm. that it's very nice to have a way to switch on to just pure happiness, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. guaranteed happiness and romance delivers that again and again. And so perhaps it's that as well, that we are seeking this uh, feel good inside of ourselves. 
Well, and, and I think, you know, escapism gets a bad rap because I think it's that, well, you're just lazy or you're just not responsible. But, you know, one of the, I've shared this on the show before, but one of the best compliments I ever got was someone who was, you know, sick in the hospital, read one of my books and just said, hey, thank you for writing that. It helped me get through, you know, a couple of days in the hospital, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's a different kind of escapism. It, it's, you know, I don't want to think about my, my pain for the next two days. I, I need something to kind of, you know, move beyond it. And I think also a lot of times if your stories are good, they, they take you to a place that you feel like, hey, there is hope in the world and, and things can turn out better. It's not all just gloom and doom, right? Um, and books Absolutely. do that. You know, good film does that. Good TV shows do that. You know, there's a sense of like, hey, maybe we're okay, you know, and, and or or we're all in this together, you know, and, and we're going to make it, you know. I mean, that's, yeah. th- those are the best stories, you know, that like love is possible. I mean, even with romance or, you know, whatever genre you're writing in. Uh, no, that's great. I, I think uh, more authors need to hear that. And especially starting, you know, if people are listening that are, you know, aspiring, starting, not sure where to start is that it's not a waste of time. I think people need to share their stories for that reason. It's to, like you said, it's to get into the, you know, Claire Connolly world for, you know, 50 of your books to kind of lose, lose time for a while, you know, and to, and just enjoy that, you know, especially with stressful jobs, kids, you know, you name it. It's like, there's a, there's a benefit there, you know, that uh, I think we minimize sometimes. Mm, Absolutely. So, uh, so Claire, talk about uh, a little bit going back uh, a bit is you've talked about, you know, kind of romance uh, genre, you you started writing romance, but you're also a romance reader, but talk a little bit, but even before that, like, what were some of your early kind of creative influences? I mean, when you started writing, why did you start writing? What, what kind of shaped you as a, as a creative writer type person? (laughs) My sister and I always joked that we were, we were bored children. (laughs) We were sort of, (laughs) we were, our parents weren't of the generation where you ran your kids around here, there and everywhere. You know, we grew up on acreage in the hinterland. So um, if you think of rainforests and big, big, tall trees and the sound of crickets on summer afternoons and really nothing to do. I mean, I'm not joking. Like our, our, one of our, our favorite things to do is we had this old oil barrel drum, which we used to lay horizontally and roll down a hill. My two sisters and I standing on it, seeing how long we could roll on top of it. So summer holidays, which over here are six weeks over Christmas, were spent with a clutch of books, climbing up a tree, finding a comfortable bough to lean against and reading. And our mum was an avid reader. So uh, library trips were sort of a four times a week occasion mm-hmm. and I can still distinctly remember the smell of our old library when you walked in you know that dusty book smell and mm-hmm. cheap carpet and <laughs> um wood oil you know mm-hmm. and so that that love of reading we could all read before we started school mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot else for us to do I mean I say that with love our parents you know they're wonderful parents but it was the best thing they did for us in a way was leaving us to have to entertain ourselves um play with our imaginations and we would lie uh, lie on the lawn and just read and read and read. And But for me, just like we were talking about a moment ago, I some of the first books I ever read and loved were the Babysitter Club books. Mm. And But I was always there for the Logan and Marianne romance. Mm-hmm. You know, I look back and I can still, and, you know, of course, it's so it's their YA, if that, their, mm-hmm. their children's books, really. But I loved that. I loved there was something, even though she had all these amazing friendships, there was something there that I just was drawn to. Uh, and I progressed to Sweet Valley High. And, you know, I always loved those episodic um, novels that sort of dealt with, as we were saying, real life, real people. Um, But pretty early on, I'd say I was about 13 when I progressed to reading Mills and Boone Mm -hmm. and and also Jane Austen and Georgette Heyer Mm -hmm. uh, and Elizabeth Gaskell, which I adored. And I I love Dickens, so I found him a little uh, less trustworthy with my happy heart. Mm -hmm. Um, But I... I just again and again loved these love stories and, and couldn't get enough of them. Well, that's great. No, I think they're, you know, I always say the you know best advice, you know, for writers is read a lot, you know, write a lot and there's nothing better than just reading and kind of getting a, you know, reading mm-hmm. different genres too, even stuff you're not writing in, you know, just getting mm-hmm. sense of tone and the way dialogue happens and story happens. It's, it's amazing how, you know, every book is so different and so unique. I mean, if you've read a lot of different things and, you know, there's just not one way to write a book, which is, I think, exciting, too, um, for those that are, you know, thinking about it. Um, so, you know, you, you've been on this journey. You, you, you've been reading and writing, like, all your life. You've had some success. So so when you were kind of getting into, uh, you know, those first books, you had submitted some uh, to publishers, rejection, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to indie publish these. You know, take us through a little bit uh, as far as, you know, 
covers and editing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, how, how did you navigate all of that? Was that all new to you? And, and where did you begin when you were just going to throw it up there on Amazon? How, how did that go? <laughs> okay. So I have to uh, say that I'm definitely a do as I say, not as I did person <laughs> when it comes to this, because it was very much, I had no expectation of really even finding a reader, but my husband and my older sister said, you, you know, you love writing, you've got to at least try it. And they were, they were very kind and uh, supportive. And we basically, I had a glass of wine and sat at my computer and I loaded it up. And I did, I had read it several times over, but I hadn't, no one else had seen it. I hadn't had it copy edited because I hadn't planned for this to happen. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we didn't really have the income to spare mm-hmm. for me to spend money. I mean, I, um, this is a little side note, but I didn't buy my domain name and because I didn't want to spend the $80 or whatever it was, which seems quite paltry, but I, for what I thought was just going to be a hobby. Mm-hmm. And by about my fourth book, I was in the Amazon bestseller charts and I was an Amazon all-star, so one of the top 100 read authors on Amazon.com. And someone bought my domain name and they <laughs> held on to it and I ended up having to pay $3,500 to buy it back two years later. Oh, no. So that was a, a costly mistake. So I, had, I didn't back myself at all enough to put any money into it. And so I used an Amazon cover creator and an Amazon template image. And it wasn't a terrible cover. You know, it wasn't a great cover, mm-hmm. but it wasn't something that was going to turn you off. And I would say to all the people who mess around with in Photoshop with average skills and, you know, don't do that. Use the cover templates because at least they're not offensive. You know, they, mm-hmm. they will give you a, a professional looking cover, even if it's not your dream cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I have subsequently had the book edited down the path, but and now now my books go through an editorial mm-hmm. process and I still do my own covers because I love it. But I've upskilled considerably mm-hmm. uh, and I buy professional images and that's just it's really just an enjoyment mm-hmm. thing. Also, when you have as many books as I do, it would be very costly yes. to yeah. uh, pay to re- and I like to really jacket them. Uh, from time to time. No, and I think there's a lot of wisdom there because I, I think a lot of writers get, that's where they get, they kind of bail is, you know, I, I covers and editing and all that kind of stuff. I don't have any money for that. I'm just starting out. You know, I don't know if this thing's mm-hmm. going to do anything. Um, I love that advice. I mean, you know, Amazon, you know, covers, whatever, um, you know, having a friend edit it. I mean, when you're starting, I think it's okay. Like it's kind of that, you know, minimum viable product. It's like, you don't want it to be offensive. You don't want people to, and, and I think sometimes people don't realize like simple, simpler is better. So, you know, your mm-hmm. cover doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to have, but you know, a decent image, you know, some decent fonts, like things like that. Like, even if you don't have the, the greatest skills or you have a friend who's kind of good at Photoshop, like you can get away with it. And then, you know, when some money starts coming in and you want to upgrade that and get some editing, kind of like what you did, I think that's, you know, there's a lot of, of wisdom there rather than saying, I'm going to invest, you know, I mean, I hear horror stories, $5,000 on a cover, 5,000 on editing. And it's like, you don't know if this book's going to be any good or anyone's going to read it. And then you're already, you know, 10 right. grand in the hole. And so I think that's stupid. You know, it's just, you know, kind of like, it's a business, right? You got to start somewhere, but you, you, you got to duct tape things together sometimes when you start. Right. And if I had known now, or if I'd known then what I do now, I would have done things differently. But mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know that it was going to have any degree of success. Sure. And I think even now there are better ways, you know, Canva.com is a mm-hmm. great uh, resource yeah. for people who want to do their own covers. They have images or, mm-hmm. you know, they're $13, I think, if you don't have an account to buy them through Adobe Stock. There are ways to do it yeah. for a lot less than I had anticipated it would mm-hmm. cost to spend. Um, ultimately, I didn't think any of that through, really. I just yeah. thought, oh, there's a cover creator option. That must be what people do. <laughs> I, I hadn't done any research right, right. at all. Um, but what I think I did really well is, like I said before, I love the story and I love the hook and it, it uh, and I did a great blurb. So I got a hundred blurbs from Mills and Boons and category romances on Amazon. And I copied and pasted them into a word document and I sat there and I read them all. And then because it's entirely different writing a blurb mm-hmm. it's a, to writing a book. Mm-hmm. And with that shape in my mind, I found it so much easier to write my blurb. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think the blurb is probably the most important part in terms mm-hmm. of pulling someone in, you know, um, it, it needs to be succinct and to hook them. You, you are just posing a question that they're burning to answer that's it in a blurb uh and i was fortunate in a way that that i think my first book had a great blurb Mm -hmm. yeah isn't it crazy how hard a blur i mean you can write a fifty thousand eighty thousand word book but writing you know a hundred word blurb is like a nightmare (laughs) 
Like it's, yeah, because you want to put all the right, stuff in. Right. And then you're like, that's horrible. Like, you know, it's like, how come I can't do this? I just wrote a book and I know what it's about and yet I can't explain it or it's not interesting. <laughs> or, yeah, are you trying to put everything right. in the kitchen sink in there? Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's uh, people need to experience that to, to uh, understand what we're talking about. But, um, no, and, the, and these are, I mean, th- this is the fun part of indie writing and, you know, and you're also, you know, you're hybrid, so you're, you know, traditionally published too. And, and is that ex- experimentation, I think a lot of writers that's, they do enjoy that. It can be feel overwhelming, but I think there, it is fun that you can say, Hey, you know, that blurb's not working. I can change it. Or, Hey, someone caught a typo. I can change it. Or, you know, and you can do that within an hour. It's not, you know, this whole big process of, you know, uh, when you're traditionally published, you can't have things change very easily. Um, yeah. And just experimenting and saying, "Hey, that's not working. Let's try something else." Um, so you know, nothing's set in stone. I think that's that, that's fun. So, um, so you're a machine, and you've written like seventy books in like four years. So I yeah. we got to hear a little bit of your process. I mean, you're a mother, you're a, you're a wife, you know, and other responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So you know, what does that look like now? You know, kids are a little older. Um, you know, the daily, you know, writing, is there outlines, is there by the seat of your pants? I mean, what, what, what does that look like? I mean, to get that kind of production, you know, traditionally and indie published. Sure. So, and it's so interesting and I have loved listening to your podcast. I have to say it's been so fascinating to me to listen to other people who are achieving high word counts, how they do it, because Mm -hmm. it's shown me we're all so very different, Mm -hmm. but I think, uh, one of the things that is recurrent to me is this idea of getting in the zone. So when you sit down at your computer, so now I know that I can write a thousand words in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so I don't let, if I only have 40 minutes, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write at least 1500 words. Mm -hmm. Um, I, but I don't, I do write full time. So once my kids go to school, and as you say, there's other responsibilities. There's always chores to be done in the morning or I have to go and do the grocery shop or this, that, and the other. I tend to sit down to work at around 11 o'clock. In an ideal world, I find mornings are my most uh, furtive time. And so I would love to be getting up at 6 a.m. and writing. That's in school holidays or weekends. That's my dream because it's I find the words flow that much better first thing in the morning. But it's obviously not practicable on school mornings. Um, so... And I think that's the other thing. I'm not looking for an ideal situation. I, I'm a professional writer. Mm-hmm. It's what I do for a job. I, I don't really buy into the idea of, um, oh, I can't even think what it's called now, um, when your words won't come, which they won't write, write out to me. Writer, writer's block. <laughs> writer's block, mm-hmm. right. Uh, so only because I, I think that just means you're less enthusiastic. And the mm-hmm. only way to overcome that is actually to sit down and write. Mm-hmm. So everyone has days like that. Right. I have days where I feel less enthusiastic. But I know that once I've got the first thousand words down, I've, I will write myself back into the story. Mm-hmm. So it's a mental thing of just saying, well, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And they might not be your favorite words, although you know, quite often for me, as long as the story is moving forward, I'm I'm happy. And that's something else I do is I quite often reread before I fall asleep at night, I reread what I've written that day. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something that happens in your brain overnight where it's just kind of cogitating mm-hmm. your story. I, I'm not a plotter, really. I know, I know roughly what's coming next. And I can see the shape of the novel in my mind, you know, the, the peaks and troughs uh, and the escalation. But I... I don't know when I start a book what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I know my characters and their conflict, but I really like to be along for the ride, and that makes makes it quite page-turning for me mm-hmm. to write. Mm-hmm. So I find myself absolutely impatient to sit down at my computer and get words down. I feel like I'm, you know, shaking and jittery until I can actually get into my writing zone, mm-hmm. quite resentful if I can't. Um, and... It, for me, that's the key to writing a really great page turning book mm-hmm. is feeling compelled to write it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've heard many authors on this show and, you know, I've watched some interviews, some, you know, famous authors mm. that it's, you know, it's a page turner because they don't know what's going to, going to happen. I mean, you, I think there's a, there's kind of a weird myth out there that, you know, most professional writers, you know, have it all outlined in every, you know, word down and every, and, uh, you know, I've, I've watched, you know, Lee child, if you're familiar with him and, you know, Stephen, yeah. King, Stephen King and, uh, you know, we've had Joe R. Lansdale on the show, Dean Wesley Smith, all these, you know, they've written hundreds of books and uh, most of them don't. And and they, they would say exactly what you just said, that there's a subconscious mind. There's kind of this creative brain that 
the story's just already in there. I mean, it's because we've read stories our whole life, you know, and we don't know where it's going to go. But like when we go to sleep, it's just there. And you just have to trust that that story's there. And so when you come back and you maybe read what you've done, it's like that creative brain just goes and it fires and, and you just trust it where it leads. And, 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 and I think that's what probably what your readers are experiencing is you don't know where it's going. So they're not going to know where it's going. And that's why it's exciting. You know, it's not this kind of, yeah. you know, this has got to happen. This has got to happen. Because I, I found for me too, I'm I'm kind of I'm really not much of an outliner either. Is that when I outline that first outline is never any good anyways because it's just your first ideas, and so you end up changing yeah. it anyway. And so I spent all this time outlining, and you're like, why am I doing this when I'm it's, the book? You know, the character ends up going off here, and I'm like, I spent all this time, and he's over here now. So why, you know, why? Right. why so why? I write like a fifty thousand word outline. Yeah, That's right. Basically, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, I find too, it almost becomes like that because I, I'm more of a putter inner and then a taker outer. So. I kind of flesh it out more. So it becomes just a glorified outline that I'm actually filling in, making it more pretty and you know, better things happening and changing things and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. no, no. And so, so talk about a little bit about what's your editing process like for you, like your personal editing, like what does that look like? You know, if you're cranking out a thousand yeah. words every 20 minutes, you know, what's, I mean, are you, are you, you know, going over it, rewriting it, or just kind of, you know, first, first drafts are pretty clean. And then who do you send it to after that? Sure. So my first drafts are pretty clean. Uh, I will, with that being said, I do on occasion have to go back and delete 6,000 words where I realize that I've been in the zone and I've written this huge arc, but I've taken the wrong fork in the road. Mm -hmm. And that's very frustrating. It doesn't happen often, but I've also, I I don't delete, I cut and paste into a cuts document. So Mm -hmm. it feels a little kinder (laughs) to your words, but (laughs) I... I once the book is finished, my ideal is then to not look at it for a month, just to put it aside. And the, they still exist in the back of my mind, and I think about them from time to time. But I move on to the next story. Uh, I'll either write that in the intervening month, or I'll be working on edits or plotting or whatever else I've got on. When I come back to it, I do the first read through, uh, and you pick up some really silly mistakes you've made. Like sometimes I'll have the parents uh, of the hero have died in the first chapter and then he's talking to his mom in chapter seven, you know, just really silly things like that. Um, or more substantial plot problems as well, which again, I don't, because I read it before I go to bed at night. Uh, I tend to, if I do find something like that happening, I tend to be able to fix it mm-hmm. the next day when I sit down to write. I do like my first draft to be pretty mm-hmm. clean. Um, Quite often I tweak the ending. I find that in a romance you have to put your characters, and I guess in most genres, you have to put your characters through a pretty bad time at the end of the book. And sometimes when I'm writing the book, I don't feel brave enough to push them as hard as I need to. So when I've had that sort of month of space, I feel like I can just make it a little bit worse. I can turn the screws a bit more, uh, make them suffer. Mm-hmm. And I so that's, that's what I do in my next read-through. And then it goes out to... Uh, depending on wh- what kind of book it is, it will go to either an editor or to my uh, sort of alpha reader, I would say, who mm-hmm. rather than a beta reader, this is just someone who she's read all of my books and I trust her implicitly. I've got a few of these lovely, lovely readers. Uh, and I, as I said, I trust her implicitly to come back to me with what's not working or if it is working or if he needs to be toned down a bit, if he's a bit aggressive or, or sort of um, arrogant. And my heroes tend to be a little bit arrogant. Um, incorporate those changes, read it once more myself, and then it goes off to my copy editor. Okay. That's good. I think there's yeah. some, some good advice uh, in there as far as don't send your books to too many, you know, uh, beta readers. I think sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, people send them to five different people to get five different opinions. I think, you know, if you can find one or two just really trusted people, especially that know your voice and know your style and know your, you know, I, I think there's like a, a, I don't know, diminishing return sometimes, you know, when you, when you send it out to so many people or get so much feedback, then it's just like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, but if you have yeah. that one trusted person, you kind of go like, okay, yeah, I can see that. Well, and especially when you're starting out, because mm-hmm. at least now I know if I get feedback that I don't agree with, I have the confidence to say, right. no, yep. that's yep. not that's not the vibe. You've missed the point. And maybe if they've missed the point, then I might go to another reader and get them to read it. And if I get the same feedback, I'd act on it. But absolutely, in the start, I, I think what, what really devastates me is when you see people write a book and they fall at the first hurdle, they fall at the first rejection. I mean, come on. <laughs> like there's that website, um, litrejections.com, which is just the best place to go and wallow if you get a rejection because it's full of stories of it is literally um 
literary rejection. So everybody who has ever achieved success in literature has had rejection. That's just part of the game. And you cannot let them uh, make you quit. And same with, you know, bad reviews or feedback. If you've got feedback from your beta readers where they don't get it or they don't like it, especially if a lot of writers use other writers as their beta readers and uh, other writers, it's tricky because I don't, I think it's very hard for a writer to read a book Mm -hmm. and not want to write it as they would have written it. Right. So it's a different skill. You you really are looking for passionate readers. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're at the very beginning of your story, a critique partner scheme works well. So where you do that sort of exchanging your manuscripts and talking to each other. But again, then I would go out of genre. So you're dealing with if I'm writing romance, I'd want to work with someone who's writing sci fi so that they're not tempted to layer in how they would do the story. They're taking your story and seeing it as a narrative, a, a fully formed narrative. And they're looking at what does or doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. No, that's really helpful. Uh, I, I think uh, writers are the worst when it comes to, you know, I'm, I'm the worst. If someone gives it to me, it's like, well, I wouldn't have done that. I would have didn't, gone over here. And, you know, it's like, it's hard to be objective. It's hard to be, you know, I think, yeah, I think, yeah voracious readers, they know story really well because they, they've read a lot. They've seen it all. And uh, they can give you a real, you know, good perspective on, you know, really the people that are going to read your books. I mean, you know, writers, you know, that, that read books, it's like, it's, it's really hard to get your brain out of just enjoying the book. Instead of going like, oh, yeah. why they do that? Or, oh, geez, that's horrible. You know, what, what are they doing? I could do that better. Yeah. You know, it's like- <laughs> well, I think it, and I read a Lee Child quote. It might be from Reacher Said Nothing. You know, that book, the guy came and sat behind him while he wrote a Sorry, I've got a feedback group there. There we go. Okay. Um, yeah. But I think what he said was, it's, he words to the effect of I'm paraphrasing badly. I'm sorry if he's listening, but that um, he's his favorite writer because no one else can write the book perfect for what he wants to read. Mm-hmm. And I feel that. And so mm-hmm. it's very like I, I love my books because they're exactly what I'm reading for. Mm-hmm. I am writing a book yeah. really for an audience of one. And it just is amazing that um, there are all these other people out there who also enjoy that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, you you really want to have that um, that love for your story, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got to love your own own stuff. I think there's nothing wrong. Yeah, with that. yeah, because that keeps you going too. I mean, especially for yourself, that's written so many books, and you know, you got to love you know the characters, love love the stories, and yeah. So uh, just yeah. as we get uh, kind of to the end of the interview, tell us a little bit what, what's been working as far as like marketing. I mean, you obviously you produce a lot. Is that kind of your best marketing? Um, you know, technique or what, anything that's been, been helpful kind of getting the word out? Yeah, probably. I mean, again, this is a do as I say, not as I do because I'm a <laughs> terrible marketer. I have just signed up to do an ads course because I think I should learn it. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, anybody, I mean, I look at my back catalogue and while I sell a great quantity of books, I think, well, what if I could be advertising and selling five times as many? Mm-hmm. Uh wouldn't that be great? You know, I, I mean, I absolutely love uh, that I don't, I haven't been doing that and that they still continue to find their way into my reader's hands. I mean, I have a newsletter list. It doesn't have many people on it. I don't do anything to actively grow it. And even worse, I send a newsletter out maybe twice a year. I'm very peripatetic with it. All my words go into my books. And I'm not I'm not salesy. I, I find it hard to, and um that's easier to do. I do write under a nom de plume and that's easier for me to do because I write under a nom de plume. So I kind of um, can see it as a little bit distinct from me personally, but I do, that is a step I'm hoping that's one of my goals for 2019 is to become better at, at advertising and promotion. Mm -hmm. But, but it can be a real time drain. Those promotions where you get drawn into blog hops and things like that. I I don't think that they are supremely effective. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm really glad you're saying all this because there's a lot of people that get marketing is the hardest part. I mean, when people talk to me and ask me questions, it's like, oh, marketing. And I, I still, I mean, not everyone agrees with me, and but most professional writers that you've heard on the show too, it's write the next book. I mean, that's still your best marketing. Mm, and, absolutely. Uh, because I think everyone just, it's, I got my book and then I spend six months marketing. It's like, you know, are you working on the next thing? You, you better be. Um, and, yeah. and that's, I mean, cause part of it is you're getting better too. Like you're, you're, you're growing your craft and that's, you know, I mean, you want every book to be a little bit better. And, 
and, and learn from the last one and do different things, you know, try different things. Um, and, and right. you know, so much money is dumped into and, you know, marketing. I mean, I'm seeing people dump $40,000 to get, oh. you know, 60,000 return, but it's like that, that's just not sustainable. That's not long-term thinking. Um, and, and, and so, you know, because again, there's books, you just, even if you write fast, they're still not going to hit sometimes. And so, you, you know, got to move on to the next one. Um, and, and just, and they th- and people think it's just a magic pill. It's like, well, I can just Amazon and Facebook and all that. But you know, if you've ever been in there, it's, it's hard. Like it's hard to understand some of it's luck, you know, yeah. it's just, there, there's just a lot, I think to be learned there. So yeah, we can all get, get better, but I think we still have to keep writing those books. And you've got to have a great product to sell before you mm-hmm. can sell anything. Yep. So, you know, the best ad campaign in the world isn't going to sell a book that no. doesn't doesn't have a great hook no. or a really good narrative style. So, yeah, absolutely. Write more and improve yep. your writing style. Always yep. improve and learn. Yep. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, thanks for, for sharing that. So, so Claire, you have uh, taken us on a journey here. And uh, I'm tired just thinking about writing 70 books. But, um, you know, tell us a little bit kind of what, what do you have coming out next and uh, where people can find you. Right. So the best place is my website, which is com. I'm on all social media as at Claire Writes Love. And I have three books out in December, two for Mills and Boone for Harlequin Presents and Harlequin Dare. And one is an indie book. Uh, and all that information is on my Facebook. Well, that's wonderful. Well, hey, thank you, Claire, so much for coming on the show. You helped a lot of people today. And uh, go get Claire's books. There's a lot of them. And uh, hey, all the best <laughs> to you. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you very much for having me. Well, there you have it. Prolific writer nation, Claire Connolly, 70 books going strong. What a great story. Thank you, Claire, for coming on the show. If you are a romance reader, and uh, I know romance readers love to read and read often and a lot, check out her books. I'll put all her information in the show notes. And I, I just love the, the, the sense of urgency uh, you know, life is short and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And some of us are, are, are listening to this show because we, we got that book idea or we've been working on this novel. We've been working on the story. We, we're just not able to pull the trigger. And, uh, and that's why we, we started the show. Uh, that's why we encourage you and, and give you tips and tricks. And, uh, because I, I've been there too. And, uh, and you know, life is short and there really is no good time to start writing. You're, you're always going to have family. You're always going to have responsibilities. There's always going to be, you know, chaos and sickness and struggle. Um, and yet Claire has shown that that it's possible and you can have great success too. And, and many of our writers are on here that show you that you can write in the cracks of your life and you can find the time to get your art into the world and the world needs your art. So go do it. Thank you for supporting this show. Hey, before we go, just two quick things. As I mentioned, if you'd like to support this show and all the shows on the Project Entertainment Network, check out the Patreon page. You get some cool free stuff there. And then secondly, if you leave a rating or review on iTunes, that would really help us out. Uh, Get get this show out into the world. Supposedly that helps us reviews and ratings and whatnot, the algorithm. I don't know, some kind of weird computer voodoo. Uh, but thank you for all the kind words, all the feedback, all the reviews. And, and also, as always, if, if there's anyone I should be interviewing, uh, thank you for sending emails and let me know, hey, who should I talk to? A lot of great prolific writers out there. And again, they don't have to write 70 books in four years, but hey, they got a first book out or 10 books out or 100 books out. Love to chat with them and hear their story. And so we can all learn from them as well. So this is Ryan J. Pelton, the Prolific Writer Podcast. As always, I just have one exhortation, if you will. Go get those words on the page. People, seriously, do it. Stop listening to this podcast. Put down the Netflix. Turn it off. Go get the words on the page. I'll talk to you real, real soon. Join us each Wednesday on the Mondo Method Podcast, brought to you by Project Entertainment Network. The Mondo Method Podcast features authors Armand Rosamilia and Chuck Buddha as they discuss the writing process from both the veteran and the novice perspectives. Each episode ends with a segment called Marketing Morsels, where expert publicist Aaron Sweet Almahari teaches everyone how to promote their work and sell more books. Check us out on the Mondo Method Podcast on Project Entertainment Network. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.